joining me for this episode of Tennessee Fro is Reading. I'm your host, Felicia Baxter. In this episode, I'm actually having brunch, or had brunch, when I thought about this episode, and many things became clear to me. One of the clearest things is that COVID, in addition to making people stupid and act like a bunch of crackheads, they really think that just because I live outside of a metropolitan city, I don't have sense. And I think I do have some sense. I'm a doctor. I went to school for 50-11 years. And what Rant brought this up is dealing with the outside world and family. Sometimes they make you just pause and say, mm, what the fuck? And that's what I'm going to have to start this episode, calling this episode, WTF, y'all. But anyways, I will also be talking about, I um, had uh, yielding uh, critical eye uh, to the classics. I watched some great classic movies by, again, by Henry James, Edith Wharton, and I've actually made some comments on it. And I also had the opportunity to read Breakfast at Tiffany's, the actual uh, novella by Truman Capote, and it gave me, and I have some insights on that, and I actually learned something that I didn't know uh, about the book and about the movie, and I think if Hollywood, if it had been made in today's time and they kept in a lot of the elements, the to more modern and more realistic take on a great uh, work of literature, which I truly think it was, they it would have made a bigger splash. And I'm wondering if someone is looking into remaking the movie with a modern twist. Maybe Paris at Cartier or because there's some of these uh, slightly up from Streetwalker girls that are slinging it even in today's world in New York. I would be very interested in that. And I also plan on reading um, my pilot because I actually bought some script writing software uh, that I wanted to share the pilot with you and, and also my plans uh, to read or have a reading of the second episode too because I foresee Hamilton Heights being a limited series made for TV either on Lifetime's Hulu or Netflix just saying and yes that's a shameless plug for someone to consider buying up my remake of The Heirs. And I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I have enjoyed creating it. Thanks. You don't actually need gravity, but that's a different thing. Like, what do you mean by I that? saw someone do this. Was this a TikTok? We were watching something where someone's like, we don't actually need gravity. We were watching this with me. Like, we actually don't need it. What do you mean that we don't need gravity? What if it was never invented? Invented by who? Sir Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton created gravity? <laughs> Whoever created gravity, someone did, but we don't actually need it. There, like, was, we a time just on, all... there was a time on Earth before gravity existed? Yes. Who, who created gravity, babe? Dan? <laughs> it was Isaac well, Newton. You, you're right. <laughs> 
You were in the right ballpark. Sir Isaac Newton perhaps uh, first defined and discovered Maybe. gravity. He what do you mean we don't need gravity? gravity? I'm curious about that We statement. just don't need it. But, like, what do you mean? The moon doesn't have gravity. It does. So you can be confidently wrong. I. It's called Great Invention by Newton. And as I said, I get my um, information or um, in, um, influence uh, in, of what topics I can uh, write or I write about or post about on my show. So I had to give this hoe <laughs> um, the donkey of the day. And I'm going to post this um, a little bit differently on my uh, the podcast notes. It is the stupidest thing. Her name is Trisha Paytas. She's literally famous for this I'm just a dumb girl act. And she really is. I have never in my life seen anything so just confirmation of the poor job that the public school system does or people that just are allowed to wallow in their stupidity. And they're okay being stupid. That's the thing that is tripping me out, that they think it is okay to be this dumb. And it is alarming because there are people like her that exist off of Instagram infamy simply for being this <laughs> Trisha Bray you are the donkey of the day girl keep it up I'll keep you famous if you keep saying dumb shit when you podcast or you're the creator and host and uh, producer of your own podcast you have the pleasure of basically changing things around reusing content editing content etc so when I got this brilliant idea to find the most downloaded podcast of the last couple of years and use that, reuse that content, the good news is as the uh, owner of the podcast, um, I now have an outside editor um, that does all of that for me for better sound quality, et cetera. So big ups to Brighton Media. And yes, if you want to, unless you're going to um, be a master of the editing, sound editing programs, you are going to need somebody to, that will be able to do it. Uh, the other thing, if you look forward to podcasting, but you're held back from it, it from it because you have to have, have a job that pays, that's the more, the most impetus to get the podcast out there, um, to hurry up so I could spend maybe four, maybe four or five days a week, um, creating my podcast. If it moved from a hobby to absolutely getting paid for it, that would be kind of cool. Meaning 
I would spend upwards maybe an hour or so a day creating a podcast, getting it edited, producing it, and then just having to read um, or create the um, commercials, uh, the advertisements um, that generate revenue for the podcast. So um, stay tuned for me talking more about that. That is my goal. I also found that last the couple of years prior to that, I had the first inkling of being pushed in that direction. Um, and it's why I think I took it so hard when my cousin, he said the what I had known um, when I cr- used the April 6th, uh, the April 26th of 2020, I had gotten to a certain amount of downloads and then they stalled. Um, people, I moved on. There are thousands of podcasts out there that people can get interested in. I listened to about four or five of them myself. And there's podcasts that are produced, new podcasts that hit the sea every single day. So, but not all of us have the same type of visibility as Joe Rogan's of the world who says some dumb, dumb stuff. And some of what I said, unfortunately, as it pertains to coronavirus uh, and from the, a couple of years ago, is still relevant. We're still in the midst of a surge, um, and President Biden has tested positive for the third time. But the show must go on. I am going to start this part of the show um, like I do hope to do every part of the show um, is not just fuss about my cousin or start that off or some negativity. Um, What's going on in good black news and who am I giving big ups to? In particular, um, the two people that land on that list is a 13-year-old and they it cracks me up, I just realized. Both of them are at the far ends of the age spectrum, but both are doing first and big things. First is Alina Annalee Wicker, who goes by Annalee. She's the 13 years old and accepted into the Alabama School of Medicine. What? She lives outside of Fort Worth. She's getting dual degrees uh, from Arizona State and Alabama State. They featured her um, the Post featured her just last year uh, when she got accepted to Arizona State's engineering program. She hopes to um, inspire other young girls of color inst- interested in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, what that stands for. And she also is encouraging me because there's an advertisement on, still advertisement on that page from NYX, um, a keto, um, <laughs> I'm so stupid, a keto, um, a keto, uh, uh, ice cream provider. It looks so good in the pictures, but I wonder if that translates to taste, but I digress. Um, then, for the first time, 
Lieutenant General Michael Langley will be one of the is will be the first four-star general in the history of the Marine Corps. Hua, I think that's what they say. Um, and somebody broke this down on CBS News. The Marine Corps was uh, established in 1775. In its 247-year history, we have our first four-star black general. That's big because we they didn't desegregate until 1948. So we need to in ourselves. We basically need um, more of this, uh, meaning we got to showcase black people doing great things every single day. Why are we just now, we're just now hearing about it. We got to make it a part of our new cycle, or we just got to demand that it become a part of our new cycle. If we're going to show black people getting shot up, babies' lives lost, we need to also celebrate these people's lives that are doing great things. And that's all I got to say about that. But also, we also got to just be willing to take the good with the bad too. And just the understanding of exactly what is truly going on in the world and making an effort to look for great things even though things are sometimes can be pretty bleak. Um, that is what the positivity and the outlook is what the positive outlook is what's going to keep us going. And it also brings us together as a people. There are we have differences, but recognize the differences that makes us a better society and a better place is all good. This color free society bullcrap that's not going to solve the problems. It's looking at the differences head on and seeing how we can still be one. But if you don't want to recognize the different the difference and celebrate great things with me, then you need to keep get to stepping. And getting back to why I'm using content from a previous show is because um, I want to see just how far I've come and what. I alluded to in that episode is he basically said something that I knew was true. My downloads had gone down. I felt some kind of way that you would point that out, but you didn't want to be a part of the solution um, to increase my visibility or why we couldn't both go together. You wanted to be associated with someone that had already arrived and that could help you, but you didn't want to be on your hustle to also not only help yourself, but to take another creative with you because you didn't recognize me as such. Well, how do you like me now is what I, I'm, I'm living for. Not only am I um, striving to make a better show, I'm also, because I know if I do the work, the recognition and the advertisement uh, benefits will come. So I have been producing my podcast as part of a passion project, and I gratefully have done it for now almost four years. But what I've also found is why I 
for a while there, I was getting downloads and plays. And as this next section will tell you is I would drag people in my family, ex-friends, the government. It was hysterical to me. However, I also realized that after a while, my downloads went to shit. And I realized that's when we emerged from lockdown. That's when I was potentially almost scammed by the public Filipina publishing scammers. And I wasn't getting the same amount of downloads. I changed the formulation. I've been basically talking about the same thing for a while. But what tripped me out is I still wasn't getting the amount of downloads. I've done several things now where I've increased the views of my blog. I've entered into a marketing um, initiative with um, Brighton Media. And I think I'm going to get the new subscribers and new streams. So I'm hopeful that not I will go from an overall streams or subscribers or downloads of 4,000 to 4,000 per episode. That is my zhuzh. I think that is the epic sweet spot where I could potentially get sponsors and the recognition and have the podcast finally pay for itself. Wouldn't it be cool to be able to read for my podcast, get the commercial, and then that's how I pay for my Podbean subscription or I pay for uh, new uh, computer equipment for everybody else that is uh, participating and producing and researching and a part of CQM. That's what I'm, um, I'm looking for. But not only was the this intro dope, um, the my read of my cousin was dope. Um, I went back in the podcast vaults and I realized that this was one of my most downloaded podcasts of like it was like over seventy, and I was talking about things about classic music. Uh, breakfast at Tiffany's and at the time I had written my first pilot or screenplay and it got some honorable mentions but not as much as my current short feature um it was Hamilton Heights that got placed uh previously that turned me on to cover fly as well as Mal my black woman down this was all in the beginning of the of the pandemic um in 2020 I recorded this in April and I basically it sounds like the read of my cousin set me on a course to not only detach myself from his derision but also to what did I need to do to increase my views on my blog uh what other expansions or things that could I do to basically um expand my um presence in the blog sphere in the my social media game he was basically I remember the last straw was when he says you don't even have a million followers I can't I don't want to be associated with someone as small scale as you 
or small time issue. Um, he wanted me to basically just give him um, money without having to get any, without any return on investment. And and I was really confused with that. He basically lived off the dole for a number of years with unemployment, the stimulus, but I was not, his cousin was not big enough for him to give me the time of day because I was still beneath his means to, he only wanted to be associated with people that were in his mind the best and the brightest and I just wasn't that. I was an up and comer, even though I w it was okay if I float him a couple hundred dollars and would not have to pay it back, but it was beneath him to even consider that I, another creator, was worth his time. I found that laughable. Um, and I'm wondering, I doubt if in his mind, if he would even know to or care to look at Instagram or because even though it's very anxiety provoking, I have a feeling when once my podcast starts getting those downloads and starts getting recognized for what I do, and I'm planning, I really want to interview LeVar Burton. I want to interview the other podcasters that I admire, especially from P-Valley. And when I do get the sponsorship, it's like, what are you going to say now? You know, I, I want to have that how you like me now moment because I have a feeling it's coming, but I realized the things that I were ranting about, um, I've made the changes and doing the work to become where I think I should become and to not only just to prove him wrong, but what if I truly become what he said I wasn't back then and would he try to get on this bus now now that I've arrived? But he didn't help me get there because he saw it was beneath him. But I do a lot of that and maybe that's why one of the reasons people were stuck in their house during the pandemic and my rant what hit them a certain way because they basically feel the same thing. So now listen to me drag my own cousin because of his own bougie ways. Oh, and by the by, I went back again. I don't know if I, um, I, it bears reiterating. I went back in the podcast or in the vault of pod meme and figured out which podcast actually had the most downloads at the time. And this particular podcast from April of 2020, early on in the pandemic, uh, had the most downloads. I don't know if people were just inside, but they listened to it, even though I realized even at the beginning of this podcast, I did all of these free commercials that I never got paid for. That's just the thing. If it was set up like Spotify and Anchor, and I actually absolutely read those commercials, I would have gotten a per certain cost per milli, um, but nobody besides the 73 people or the 73 times that this was downloaded basically helped me with it. But people sat through it. The first several minutes of the podcast were actually just me reading um, the commercials. But basically, 
cut those out, kept the intro, and then kept my read of my old bougie-ass cousin. So enjoy the read of Drake. Welcome back to this part of the episode. I have been fussing for a minute now, and I had two conversations. One was a pretty in-depth conversation with one of my good friends, Yvonne, who I respect. And even though I'm a complete crank, she is probably one of the coolest people that I've ever met. So shout out to my Southside homie from Chicago, Illinois. You are wonderful. And I can't wait to talk to you about your poetry on Friday because I know it's going to be the bomb. And then the flip side of that, I am still tripping over an interaction I had with family members. And it is crazy that I'm starting my WTF aptly name. What the fuck, y'all? What the fuck? I have always been just completely compelled by one of my cousins that lives in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. You know, going for it, content creator, but at the same time, I know your struggles because I've helped you when you asked me to pay for for shit. Just recently, you have not worked probably the better part of two years and you can't make rent or you can't even buy your own groceries and you qualify for Medicaid. But you have the audacity, the bald-faced audacity to ask me for something. And, And maybe I'm taking this all kind of crazy because I've had one too many very strong um, Bloody Marys with a whole bunch of Tito's vodka. And you ask me about my quote unquote little podcast. So you want to interview me and give content to my podcast, but my podcast is a uh, passion project. I started this over a year ago. Um, in an effort to entertain myself when I was stuck in that black hole of Kentucky. I've made it very clear what I will and will not talk about. I like books. I talk about books. I talk about Star Trek and even NASCAR because those things interest me. I try to keep out the shenanigans that's going on in the White House right now because it's everybody else is talking about that. But in this segment, not only am I going to stop fussing about my interaction with uh, someone, I'm also going to uh, talk about uh, George Packer and the failure of America. But that's neither here nor there. And I'm going to read that Atlantic article in total and just discuss it because I think it, it, it hits a lot of points and I thought it was well written. But that's neither here nor there. But getting back to this. You asked me to provide content for my own podcast. I've had this platform, which I pay for. Um, I have no interest in 
talking about corona from a medical standpoint because I think the CDC and the World Health Organization can do a better job at it than I will. I don't have any opinion on the rule effects of it because I don't really consider myself rule. I don't practice. I'm a medical director for a commercial insurer. I know well enough to keep my to keep my mouth shut on certain things. And I they with the World Health Organization as well as CDC put out that the people that most affected are over 60 and have uh secondary health issues no shit everybody about 70 percent 70 80 percent of the black people uh that do live in south rural have those um uh secondary effects it's not like we don't know that we are a unhealthy population i'm a part of that i have high blood pressure and hypothyroid i get it I love my bacon, I love my beer, I love my drinks. I'm a fat chick that don't really give a shit. But that's beside the point. But I do, and I'm sitting in my own house knowing that if I did catch the COVID, I would be most likely not to survive. That's why I have a mask. That's why I ain't going nowhere. And you can't make me go anywhere. But don't think that my perspective is that I'm going to put my life at risk for people that I know don't give a shit about me anyways. I'm not risking my life and my health and my well-being for a bunch of mugs that don't give a crap about me, let alone certain family members. How do you have the audacity to end two fell strokes, basically say that this is a last-ditch effort to get your content out to the world, but you're going to do it anonymously because you have all of these contacts in Hollywood and in media, and you can't afford to have your image polluted by somebody giving you credit. But you'll take my money if I were to pay you to give me said content, bitch. I absolutely can. Girl, please. I can come up with my own content. I can talk myself out of my own blessings. I don't need your help. I don't need you to use my already established platform, although it's small as it is. I It at least is paid for by my own money. I don't need that. As well as if you think that your um, rep can't be afforded by somebody associating something with you about something crackhead that you are going to say, but it's okay to put my rep out there that I could get fired from a job that I absolutely love that actually pay me well, but you don't really care about that. You just want to practice, but you can utilize me at the same time to say crap that could potentially get me fired. Nah, bro. Um, no, nah, I'm not going to be able to do that. And how dare you? Uh, try to use me for your own uh, well-being. You are, both of us are way too old uh, for the nonsense. Please go and sit down somewhere and just concentrate on getting your unemployment. Concentrate on getting your Trump check. 
I don't have time for that because I've basically, I'm very happy uh, not having to go through the rigmarole of applying for unemployment or um, having to pin on some stimulus check that wouldn't even pay one of my mortgages. And with that said, I'm going to have to let that go. I just think that people think that you can be just because your family members or a friend or a significant other, it's okay to be at one point uh, ask for help and then um, be really uh, offensive and people are supposed to be okay with that. Only crackheads think that. That's why I thought that Crackhead Dan had gone into the uh, the Never Never Land. I won't go see him again, but I am still surrounded by Crackhead Dan's. People don't, they think that uh, because I, I'm supposed to be so impressed by your mystique, but I know the reality of it. You just a step up from the poorhouse and you were just very, very lucky that that person hasn't evicted you from your Lower East Side apartment. I'm so sorry. Your comeuppance is coming, and for you to sit and fix your mouth and to be offensive in these times, I find just rich. And how dare you think that you are above any retaliation and that I have no room for you on my podcast. My podcast, as I said, currently I have no sponsors. It's completely supported by my own, my day job. And I basically, again, only read and talk about the things that I want to read and talk about. Um, I'm not going to pay anybody to do anything that I can basically do on my own. I'm so sorry. Um, If you want to use this, if you see this as an opportunity to practice on a podcast that nobody is listening to, that is where you are wrong. I got 1,400 downloads um, that says differently. Um, You need me more than I need you, and I'm not in the business of being used by anybody related to uh, acquaintance with or not. I'm just not the one. But you can tune in to see what kind of content I am actually publishing between the poetry um, and my games uh, with my friends because they know what time it is. They know I'm cranky. And they also realize that I'm not going to tolerate a whole bunch of shenanigans. That's all on you. But anyways, don't listen to his dumb ass. Don't ingest our products. That's crazy as hell. And her facial expression said it all. I thought it was hysterical. And I only mention it here because it every single day, it is a what the fuck moment. What are y'all talking about? And why doesn't anybody shut him the fuck up? And anybody that proposes to back up anything he says, and then he goes back and he reneges on all of it. He says, well, I didn't say that. Well, bitch, we know you said that because CNN has already categorized every stupid shit you have said since January 1st. So really, I don't think I can tolerate much more of it. And if before I stroke out 
over the president. I don't think my lisinopril and propranolol are going to keep me, my blood pressure low enough to not have me in neuro ICU of all the dumb crap he keeps saying every single day. But I just got to be more vigilant. I can't listen to anything because it just sends me over the edge. However, this particular article actually had me, um, I subscribed to a couple of different uh, um, periodicals. Um, the New York Times was one of my favorite Washington Post, but everybody's doing COVID and I don't really want to do a whole bunch of dystopian and uh, doomsday kind of things on my podcast, but what I have found is you still have to be informed because that would not be uh, good. You know what I mean? But this article I got from Demetria on uh, Ratchet and Respectable, and it says it was in, it's in the Atlantic. We are in a failed state. The coronavirus did not break, didn't break America. It revealed what was already broken. And I'm actually going to embed this in um, my uh, notes for my podcast because I can't I, I just think that George, and I'm going to call it George Packer and uh, COVID exposure and call it George Packer and COVID exposure of the, of the U.S. brokenness, broken, brokenness. And I'm going to read it um, as much as in its entirety um, as I possibly can. When the virus came here, it found a country with serious underlying conditions. Let me see how long this bitch is. Because I'm not sure. Yeah, it's not that bad. Let's see if I can actually get, get her done. And it exploited them ruthlessly. Chronic ills, a corrupt political class, no shit, a sclerotic bureaucracy, a heartless economy, a divided and distracted public had gone untreated for years. You ain't chitting. We had learned to live uncomfortably with the symptoms. It took the scale and intimacy of a pandemic to expose their severity, to shock Americans with the recognition that we are in the high risk category. The crisis demanded a response that was swift, rational, and collective. And we have none of those because our dumbass in charge is stupid, sociopathic, and on the autistic spectrum. And I'm going to have to put that also in the notes. And I don't care because that is the, what time it is. The United States instead, like Pakistan or Belarus, like 
a country with shoddy infrastructure and a dysfunctional government whose leaders were too corrupt or stupid to head off mass suffering. Mm. Oh, it reacted instead like Pakistan, really. The administrative squandered two irretrievable months to prepare. From the president came willful blindness, scapegoating, boasting lies. From his mouthpieces, conspiracy theories, and miracle cures. A few senators and corporate executives acted quickly, not to prevent the coming disaster, but to profit from it. Ain't that bad a bitch. When a government doctor tried to warn the public of the danger, the White House took the mic and politicized the message. You right. Every morning in, in the endless month of March, yes, March, the Ides of March was rampant. It was like uh, every, it's like Groundhog Day every day. Americans woke up to find themselves citizens of a failed state with no national plan, no coherent instructions at all. Family schools offices were left to decide on their own whether to shut down and take shelter. When test kits, masks, gowns, and ventilators were found to be in desperately short supply, governments pleaded for them from <coughs> the White House, which stalled and then called on private companies, which couldn't deliver. States and cities were forced into bidding wars that left them prey to price gouging and corporate profiteering. Citizens took out their sewing machines to keep ill-equipped hospital workers healthy and their patients alive. Russia, Taiwan, and the United States, United Nations sent humanitarian aid to the, the world's richest power, a beggar nation in utter chaos. I'm gonna have to pause there because it's all true. And it makes me so sad and I know I can make myself look bad by my own damn self, but Mr. Packer basically are verbalizing what we believe um, is to be true. This fool basically has basically ripped apart our everything that has been built up over the last 200 and some odd years and one fell stroke of his pen and this one essay summarizes the bleakness of it all um i'm going to actually skip down and basically round this out because it says Trump came to power as a repudiation of the Republican establishment, but the conservative political class and the new leaders soon reached an understanding. Whatever their differences on issues like trade and immigration, they shared a basic goal, to strip mine public assets for the benefit of private interests. Republican politicians and donors who wanted government to do as little as possible for the common good could live happily with the regime that barely knew out the government at all. And they made them, themselves Trump's footmen. 
If the pandemic really is a kind of war, it's the first to be fought on this soil in a century and a half. Invasion and occupation expose society's fault lines, exaggerating what goes unnoticed or accepted in peacetime. Clarify essential truth, raising the smell of buried rot. The virus should have united Americans against a common threat, but different leadership it might have. Instead, even as it spread from blue to red areas, attitudes broke down along familiar partisan lines. The virus also should have been a great leveler. You don't have to be in the military or in debt to be a target. You just have to be a human. So I'm going to skip to this. We face with the choice that the crisis make inescapably clear. We can stay hunkered down in self-isolation, fearing and shunning one another, letting our common bond wear away to nothing. Or we can use this as this pause in our normal lives to pay attention to the hospital workers holding up cell phones so their patients can say goodbye to loved ones. The plane load of medical workers flying from Atlanta to help in New York, the aerospace workers in Massachusetts demanding that their factories be converted to ventilator productions, the Floridians standing long lines because they couldn't get through by phone to a skeletal unemployment office uh, because their Republican senator, before he actually took office, reeked and uh, dismantled every social underpinning that would have helped them five, six, seven, eight years before he took seat. The residents of Milwaukee braving endless waits, hail and contagion to vote in an election forced on them by a partisan justices. We can learn from these dreadful days that stupidity and injustice are lethal. That in a democracy, being a citizen is essential work. That the alternative to solidarity is death. After we've come out of hiding and taken off our masks, we should not forget what it's like to be alone and you damn right this is probably one of the best articles that I've I've ever read and I'm glad that the other podcaster hit me to it and why I've got and I'm actually really happy that I have other sources of other sources of information and of uh, potential um, content versus someone that would only willingly, not willingly give me any of it without being um, dismissive or being offensive. Uh, Thank you to other fellow podcasters in their way, in their, um, their benefit Um, and how they've been um, very encouraging in this time. Um, But this is actually a good read, and I hope you will actually uh, take the time to read it in its entirety um, because it basically summarizes a well-written summarization of what I and probably countless others have felt in these trying times. I can build me another shake, John, but I can't build me no another pain. 
I'm gonna get what you deserve. This ain't about me, child. This about you. You running out of time. Time for what? Crazy life and death for us. What you finna do? I don't mean no offense, but what are you? I'm Uncle Clifford. What are you? What the world won't let me be. That's P-Valley every single Sunday, um, except for this past Sunday. And this is why I start this part of the podcast, just nerding out on all things P-Valley and J. Alphonse Nicholson. That describes every creative or everyone ever with a mad dream, how they want to come up, and the glow up is how they put it in uh, P-Valley. I recall from the previous uh, podcast or the previous episode of the podcast, uh, I was go. I would. I used to talk about everything Star Trek. Um, and NASA, and there are other well-listened-to, well-healed episodes or uh, uh, other podcasters that do the exact same thing, but they have sponsorships, and they and it's more relevant because of if they're following the news and even the after show of... I'm going to probably start watching Strange New Worlds, but... Uh, Will Wheaton actually does the after show for that uh, Paramount uh, produced show. It looks interesting and it did get multiple Emmy nominations, um, but I'm still holding out for Star Trek Discovery as well as the last season of Picard to come out. It's not going to be any more swashbuckled than it was before because Picard, um, the guy that plays him, is um, 5,000 years old. So it's not going to be as reft with um, fight scenes and or battles that he's going to lead. However, since the previous episode, that episode that I've been referring to and I've spliced in, I don't think that part of the uh, podcast is relevant like at all because I'm really into P-Valley now. P-Valley is um, takes place in fictional Chuckalisa, which I found out is based on Katori Hall's experience in her hometown of Memphis, Tennessee. Um, and it follows a ragtag group of uh, performers, strip strippers or exotic dancers, um, a very eclectic, a very eclectic crew, um, and Jay Alphonse Nicholson is one of the breakout stars from that series. Um, it's it, it's most Sundays on Stars, very gritty, bright lights, um, very troubling um, storylines, but the character story arc is very interesting and it's very realistic from my standpoint. 
Um, you heard from Uncle Clifford, who runs or was is part owner now of the Pink, um, talking to Jay Alphonse because in last episode of P Valley, um, he they had broken up because um, little murder character denied Uncle Clifford. Um, he's asking her, "What are you?" Because in real life, uh, Nico Anon is non-binary on the show he's non-binary he goes he says his name is uncle clifford but he doesn't identify as both um either male or female and then little murder comes to him after the death of his one-time lover um big teak and big teak serves a 10-year bid gets out of jail and then he kills himself in a car the little murder absolutely actually bought him that was last episode also, Brandy, Brandy Evers, I think her name is, her on the show, Mercedes' daughter, who is like 14 years old, um, comes to her with a pregnancy test. Mercedes was only 15 um, when she actually gave birth to her. Um, the little girl finds out that um, the stepmother who actually raised her was a mistake, um, but and she was forced to actually take her in by... Um, the cheating father, her biological father. It's so messy. I can't make any of this stuff up. And also, we are going to get some resolution where Oh Snotty Nose Toy did, in fact, probably not only Miss Ernestine, but who else did she, in fact, with the coronavirus? Because, again, this show is this particular time period of the show is five months into the early part of the pandemic. And isn't that ironic that I go and use some of the storyline from a show that I uh, published during the same period of the timeline, and I'm talking about P-Valley, which is based in that particular timeline. It's crazy, girl. It's crazy. But as I alluded to uh, previously that Big Teak is a character on the show who is bodyguard of Little Murder while he was on tour and they were evidently uh, same-sex lovers back in the day while he was in jail he dropped a body or took a body uh, for Little Murder what he is so depressed um, that he can't see himself be in love and why go on? He just He's just tired of living. So he takes his own life. And the dealing with suicide um, or suicidality, um, not too long after the show dropped, there was a national suicide hotline that was actually created. And I'll actually have not only the clips from the show and the interview with John Clarence, uh, but also the suicide hotline, you're not alone, or and you can also dial 988. That's 988-247 if you feel help or you need help with someone that is acutely suicidal. suicidal. And speaking of that, I have a clip from a, a interview that was done on June 30th, uh, Big Teak talking about his character um, on P-Valley. And it's, I'm not even going to warn y'all. He is one of those, his eyes are tripping me out, but he is just a freaking weirdo. 
um, so made for this character. And I'm hopeful that through his work on P Valley, someone else will recognize just how a great character or a great character actor he is and great things are in his future. Here is John Clarence Stewart, a.k.a. Big T, talking about his character on P-Valley. Stone Mountain representing, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I got somebody from that 770 right here on the carpet. How you doing, man? Like, how, this this season, I mean, you got, this is an interesting change from uh, the last time uh, that the audience is familiar seeing you on, on Zoe. Now you're like, you ex-con, bodyguard, all this stuff going on. How's it just to, like, have that broad of different characters to play as act? I mean, that's, that's what I live for. Like, live for that. Like, I love characters that are complex, that are different. I want to span experiences that are like mine and not like mine. I think that's the test of what we do. And I I think of a lot of actors that I respect and admire, you get to see them evolve and transform and shapeshift and and become what's necessary to tell the story. And I think that in the ways that I I could, I did that with Big T. Yeah. I feel like Katori used you to kind of tap into a lot of the anger um, and stuff that the community was feeling for him. George Floyd to Brianna, whatever, you kind of felt like you was the most passionate about and feeling that in this in this story. I mean, did you feel like you was a, a vessel for, for like, a message right there? I did, yeah. I think that, that, like, everything exists inside of this canvas, right? Victoria did a beautiful job of creating the canvas of what we are experiencing. You know, there's a, there's a numbness to certain things. Like, we see ourselves brutalized all the time all the time and you get to see the way that all of these other characters were inundated with that all the time how they're like kind of numb to it in a certain way but Teak because of where he's been he's fresh and if we all remember what it was like the first time we saw something like that we understand where he's coming from we know what that is and like and that tapping into that it did feel like it did feel like there was a message I felt like there was something that she Katori wanted to say and I'm grateful that it came through him yeah, I, I gotta, I gotta ask about episode one. This this car wash scene that everybody's gonna love. Like, why are we having these car washes all over the place? Oh, uh, 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 why, are, why are these type of car washes that P Valley? Like, they should just call it the P Valley car wash. I don't know. I don't know. It's just my side idea. I don't know. The P Valley car wash. Um, they're gonna put that into season three. There you go. There you go. No, I, yeah, I think that car washes are cultural. They mean something for us, right? They, it's, it's, if you go to certain people, you go to certain spaces, and you say, talk about a car wash, yeah, nothing comes to mind. Yeah. You come to us, you talk about a car wash, it's community. Yeah. And that's like the way that we gather around certain activities, that is an activity that we all gather around. So it's, yeah, that's how I feel about that, yeah. yeah well, I appreciate your time, brothers. I appreciate you. Take care. Stone Mountain, yeah. So... He is, you got to watch this entire clip in its entirety. I'll have it in the full uh, episode notes on my blog, dalesangelsinc.blog. But the way he carries himself and he is just, 
the intensity of the character of the big T character is I find it, it just it's mind boggling and it's mind blowing. Um, I was just so saddened with his the utter and absolute despair of this character or of his character um, in oh crap I have to find a link uh, for the uh, P Valley um, episode that's dropping the, tonight um, actually after midnight it usually drops on um, stars but he th that character really did embody the rage and despair of so many of us I think he did a great job of putting it out there it made him buck but it also gave he went it looked like it took him to a different another place and I'm hopeful he has a therapist because it's hard to come back from that he basically embodied that character's despair and the despair of an entire uh people um, and that's a lot to carry on your shoulder, and it's a lot to shake off. And I'm hopeful that he was able to shake it off and is still undergoing um, significant psychotherapy uh, for it. And I want to um, shift gears because I also, my heart goes out to Master P's family. Um, Master P was on CBS Morning News, I believe it was, was it yesterday or day before yesterday? Uh, talking about his efforts to work with the National um, Committee on Addiction. His daughter uh, accidentally, um, what was her name? A Tatiana, 27 years old, um, died of accidental overdose. And I have to think that she, just like uh, Michael Williams and uh, Bobby Brown's son, um, it had to do with uh, heroin or some type of drug mixed with fentanyl. Um, she had just gotten out of rehab. She'd gotten some help. But of course, the horror of addiction is you never are free from it. And she basically um, got a hold of some drugs that was laced with fentanyl. And it basically, and it took and ended her life. Um, he said that was the worst call that he ever had when he has nine kids. One, I didn't know he had nine kids. Now he only has eight children, and his other daughter basically had to call him and tell him that she had been found dead, and she they couldn't get her back. Fentanyl is a bitch, y'all. Um, one, I could never take drugs or any type of drug because I get not so nauseated. I found that out when I had a surgery, and they gave me half a dose, and I continued to throw up like I was crazy like the exorcist. So the finality of overdose, the despair of a parent, he said something so profound is the drug addiction affects, doesn't matter, and you can't protect, and it doesn't protect you no matter what color you are, how much money you have. Um, Master P has a lot, $200 million from the poverty uh, or impoverished black kid uh, serving mixtape tapes out of the back, his trunk of his car in uh, New Orleans. That's where he comes from, dirt poor. And he embodies a sound and an error, but that alone didn't affect her from getting on drugs. 
and succumbing to the negative effects. So my condolences to the family. Um, his, um, I'll have the links um, to his uh, performance um, memorializing her um, in his Instagram feed where um, he expresses um, his deep and his sympathy um, and he showed vulnerability and it has nothing to do with weakness it looks like Master P has done the work I don't know if he has a good pastor um, or it is also in himself therapy but I think showing the vulnerability actually gives him more strength um, and actually makes him re more relatable than the hardcore gangster rapper that he portrayed back in the day. Um, he's just another parent struggling with loss because of his child succumbing to drug addiction. And it works. And I'm so, and I'm, my heart goes out to him. But Master P is looking like a strong black man in his time of vulnerability and sadness and grief. So I realized I watch way too much trash TV. I um, am still into 90 Day Fiance. I just got finished uh, reviewing or listening to uh, the P-Valley, the uh, trailer for this week, as well as an interview with the Big T character. Um, and I'm not using a large portion of the popular culture part of last the previous episode because it's not really relevant. Um, I was going off and talking about um, oh what is it called Shondaland with the Duke and all of them. I'm not even gonna uh, because I what I what for copyright infringement purposes. But um, I did in this next section I rewatched uh evidently I had rewatched Breakfast at Tiffany's and I had read Breakfast with Tiffany Chuma Capote's book um and I'm just mystified I'm still fascinated by the that Breakfast at Tiffany's um I'm started thinking about I rewrote another I wrote a screenplay uh based on the murder of Gabby Petito but writing something similar to this um, party girl taking a takeaway coffee from um, be caffeinated and then looking in um, the going to the Chattanooga Tutu every single day looking at um, the uh, jewelry in the jewelry store there how it starts out and on her way back to uh, her apartment um, with barely any furniture in it um, on the North Shore. Breakfast at, I forgot the name of that jewelry store. Um, that's our breakfast over the Walnut Street Bridge. I think that's, a, <laughs> that's the name of my, hopefully the name of my next uh, screenplay. It, like a lot, I get a lot of my ideas uh, based here, right here in Tennessee. I wonder if anybody would be interested in producing that or coming to fruition. Um, as I rewrite my other screenplay, uh, Black Woman Down, um, I think that uh, Breakfast at the Walnut Street Bridge is another, huh. 
breakfast at Walnut Street Bridge. That's that's workable. Celebrating the food culture here, or uh, huh? Let me let me let work on that a little bit, y'all. This podcast is my path of entertainment in a form of therapy and an outlet for creative freedom. But if you don't have this outlet and you're struggling with depression, anxiety, or addiction, call 1-800-273-8255. It's available 24 hours a day, every day. And there's also an on-site chat feature at suicidepreventionlifeline.org forward slash chat forward slash if vodka is your problem call 1-800-662-HELP that's 1-800-662-4357 then there's also apps like Talkspace and um, Doctor on Demand that will actually be able to help you write where you are in the privacy of your car at a fraction of the cost of conventional therapy it's okay not to be okay and it's definitely okay to ask for help Holly was such a symbol of all these girls who come to New York and spend in the sun for a moment, like mayflies and then disappear. Truman Capote, 1958. I had the opportunity to rewatch Breakfast at Tiffany, and I had, and I had never, and I don't realize, and I didn't realize why I never read the original uh, Truman Capote's book. Uh, and it wasn't a book. It was a part of three other um, essays that he published uh, called, let me go back to um, this in my episode. Um, it was actually called Breakfast at Tiffany's, a short novel and three stories by Truman Capote. And I don't know how many of you know of the history of Truman Capote being from Mississippi, being a short gay white dude um, in mid-century, nothing is, which is not completely at all acceptable. But he wrote this groundbreaking book that I didn't know that was completely Hollywood weird eyes uh, in the 60s to fit somewhat the character of Catherine Hepburn. What tripped me out is how sanitized and and how when they basically said that this uh, book was it was sanitized, the Hollywood script, they wasn't lying. And I'm going to read from you something from the Hollywood or Broadway buzz that is completely true. There is no name more synonymous with window shopping on Fifth Avenue than Holly Golightly, the good time girl at the center of Truman Capote's classic novella turned movie, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Now that Holly, there's actually a movie that is has been play written by Richard Greenberg uh, that, and I think this was back in 2013, that stars it, but we don't know, and I don't think most people knew how far the book and the subsequent script strayed away from the original Breakfast at Tiffany's. In 1958, the author Capote was already a celebrity when he published this particular book. Um, And Breakfast at Tiffany's is actually narrated by nameless writer, dubbed Fred, 
who becomes fascinated with his mysterious, eccentric, social climbing neighbor, Holly Golightly, who happened to be the amalgamation of several women, Gloria Vanderbilt being one. Um, she becomes Truman Capote famous and favorite, and she becomes and has this never ending energy. He sold the story to Harper's Bazaar, but because it was filled with cussing and sexual content, and they didn't want to offend a major advertiser, Tiffany, um, they serialized it, and it was picked up, and the manuscript was subsequently published by Esquire. The, pl the publicity was such that Hollywood was uh, interested but they needed a sanitized version of it. And I, after reading the book and then watching the movie, there was no way that Marilyn Monroe would have been, and I don't think the movie would have been a successful hit if Marilyn Monroe had played the part that was seemed like it was written or augmented for Katherine Hepburn. Just saying. Maybe she would could have pulled off the Holly Go Lightly that's originally written in the original score, but definitely not the sanitized version that we have known and grew up that become had become uh Holly Go Lightly of Katherine or excuse me, Audrey Hepburn fame. Because they downplayed her high-end call, being a high-end call girl. Uh, they dialed down her age, which she was a teenager, and her bisexual curiosity, ultimate racism, calling people coons and niggers, and her bisexual curiosity, and how she proposed... Uh, on Rusty Trawlers telling her that it was okay to keep her nerves calm by smoking marijuana. And the setting was actually originally the 1940s wartime, uh, but they changed it to the 1960s. And how the narrator became Fred uh, who was played by George Papart and how they ended up together and in the book that was not the case. I believe the narrator was the ever observant um, Truman Capote who was actually gay. But the October 1961 version of Holly Golightly uh, created a sensation made a household name of Truman Capote and a whole bunch of money for the Hollywood uh, uh, magnets, but it also purported how unsafe and unprotected women were and how even as late as 1960, how women had no control over their sexuality and their being and just how uh, it was so easy to get caught up in a whole bunch of nonsense and how uh, 
in an effort to uh, find yourself and escape from yourself, you had to go through all of this drama. I wish that the script uh, had really stuck to the well-written book that was uh, Truman Capote's Breakfast at Tiffany's because it revealed a lot of the complexities of uh, how a 13-year-old girl was the subject of pedophilia from the time it sounds like that the Holly or Lula May character uh, was sexually active, probably unwillingly, at the age of 13. She married uh, uh, Doc Golightly uh, when she wasn't quite 14, was the girlfriend of a jockey at the age of 15, and somewhere between 15 and 19, she ended up the paramour of a Hollywood director, but she fled to New York and became Holly Golightly out of necessity. And the, then the uh, uh, messenger girl of Sally Tomato, just in an effort to have an exciting life and an effort not to be pawed on and preyed upon by the likes of the uh, Shacklets and OJs of the world. It's a an, it's an amazing read. Not only am I going to reread this and probably talk about it in subsequent episodes, but I'm also uh, looking for hopefully a first edition of uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's and the other three stories written by Truman Capote because it's completely an American classic and I actually want to get my hands on it. And I'm wondering how much uh, people are willing to actually um, pay to, you know, offer for it. And I'm sure that there are Af there is an African-American version of it out there screenplay just waiting to be written. If nobody saw fit to make a updated 2020 version of starring a highly go lightly, why can't we have a true holiday uh, go lightly or holiday Johnson of the same uh, African American or even Hispanic uh, version? I'm just saying, and maybe that'll be my second version after I complete my uh, current project, Hamilton Heights. Because now that I think about it, Uh, Holly Go Lightly or Holiday Go Lightly, not Holly, because I don't know too many black girls named Holly. In a brownstone in Brooklyn with the mean reds. Let me think about that. I, I have an idea that is uh, coming up, but instead of it being. Uh, represented, it looks like she was either West Side or East Side. Why can't she be uh, Holly Golightly of Brooklyn? And basically the same thing in the 21st century. Let me think on that for a little while and I'll get back to y'all and I'll write up a subsequent uh, version of, of the black version of Breakfast at Tiffany's or one of the pawn shops in Brooklyn. Who knows? I think that would be more relatable.
So in an effort to continue to get back to why I continue to change and research and do my podcast is very simple. One, I like talking about books. I like reading and most recently I've rediscovered and am using my Audible account to the best of my abilities and I really like it. Um, I've been for the last week or so I have been reading um, Will Jawando's book um, My Seven Fathers um, rounding out coming to an end of that I'll probably finish it um, and post about it um, this weekend maybe tomorrow I'll probably end up finishing it up if I don't finish it up today um, I started reading it um man it only has been um since the beginning of yeah it really has been the beginning of this week and in the book itself i really actually it was last week i started listening to it after uh he was on um demetria l lucas's podcast ratchet and respectable um, he is running for Prince George County Councilman re-election. Um, this book is his memoir of race, family, and the mentors who made him whole. Um, it's available for immediate purchase on uh, Far From Bill Street. And I am so excited about the opportunity to have found out about him and listening to his story. And I'm just going to read you some of a little bit of the excerpts from um, the book and my take on it so, thus far. He had a complicated relationship or lack of relationship with his biological father, who he said was always present, even though he wasn't there. And then there were seven men like his stepfather, Joseph, um, another friend, Jay, um, and there's California, a friend of his from school that actually got caught up and passed away as a teenager because of drug, through gun violence. And then, of course, uh, Forever POTUS, his only black male teacher, Mr. Williams, um, all made show how you can be vulnerable and it can build a strong character. And if you, because you never show your vulnerability doesn't really make you hard or less strong because you are more attuned to your feelings, you're capable of control, um, regu self-regulation, therefore building self-respect and, and the ability to generate immense love. What I find so disturbing is the hypocrisy and the judgment um, and the effect of white supremacy even in the Christian church and the persistence impact of respectability politics on so many generations of African Americans because what it does result in is continued brokenness and despair that's palpable. He basically, in spite of all these things, he continued to walk forward to the beat of go-go music from DC and also um, was allowed to experience great playwrights in their heyday of like August Wilson, just because of his presence in DC, which I, you know, 
found personally as a creative, I find uh, make you want to play or hate this brother a little bit. I come, as I continue to listen to it, I still am unpacking my own complicated feelings with the lack of relationship with my own father and my inability um, to trust or unwilling to trust men in general. And I never got the chance to basically write that, to get to know my father as an adult. Um, and I'm thinking that I always felt that I was not allowed because he did not know how to show vulnerability because you don't question, you don't ask. And he also always had the feeling that I was being player hated for the same reasons why you, a parent should support you. Meaning you think you're smarter than me. That was a, a, a repeated refrain. Or you think you're better than all of us in a way of put down um, just to keep you basically it was it was just so weird the relationship because he did, felt in a, he although he was proud because he told everybody else how proud he was, but I never heard that he didn't do uh, Barack Obama's flim flam where he he made sure you over he you were there and when he gave you praise I never got that praise I always got player hater from him so that's why I avoided any kind. Of kind of contact because I didn't know when I was going to be played or when I was going to be put down. And I didn't, that whole feeling of being trying to make small so they could feel big, that is 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 just the exact opposite. That's why I have a, and, and it is so warped that I actually have, I don't know how to take compliments because I don't believe them because I never got them. And that's just weird, but I'm working through it. Um... I always have a feeling of unsettledness and always having to feel like I'm in some type of code shift mode. I don't feel it's I've I've been made to feel or I do feel uncomfortable in my own skin around family members or used to around family members and people of color because of that always feeling unsettled and I always feel angry in the corporate sphere because I don't think I'm allowed to basically be my authentic self to a full extent because it doesn't fit in with the corporate code. And I hate feeling not feeling that. Um, I don't think me having twist has anything to do with my ability to do my job because nobody has to see me unless I turn the plastic camera on. I don't think I would prefer to be able to do exactly what I'm doing today. Uh, reading, listening, books, uh, finishing up Will Jawando's book, um, and posting on my blog. That's what I absolutely want to do. I just have to figure out a way to monetize it. And reading this book has encouraged me to go after um, that creativeness. Um, also, Jump starting my own faith. I found I was looking through YouTube and looking for something else, <laughs> P Valley of all things. And I came across a clip uh, from Bishop Jake's um, The Potter's House. I joined The Potter's House at its um, almost its foundation when they moved from West Virginia to Dallas back in 96. Um, it's been a long number, many, many moons 
since my last either either going online to watch the um the the uh ministry or i call it i was thinking the show but it's not it really is a produced show when you think about it but so many churches have moved online even in spite of the pandemic um but we were first in doing that at the potter's house um i remember giving those tours i knew where the ins and out i used to i knew what pew to sit in where to sit and where to park um, so I could get back on the oh, the exchange and get back to my apartment. But it has been a long time since I actually attended service is what I meant. And a shame on me for calling it a show. But what I do miss is I miss the teaching. I do miss the authenticity of it. And I just... But what I don't miss is the hassle because it was really hard getting in and out of that church. It was one of the fast. It is probably still one of the fastest growing churches, but 3,000 people trying to get out, get back to the interchange on this at the same time was a bit harrowing. And I can't even imagine being in a place where that many people are sitting down. But what I do miss is the teaching of Bishop Jakes and the other ministers. And one of the things that started making me think of that and that clip reminded me of that was how big his faith and how he was allowed to explore his faith and his walk with God on his own. His mother had strict uh, Catholic upbringing, Midwestern. She put that conservativeism in uh, him and instill um, the discipline and the, and the belief Christian belief in him, but the racism of the Catholic schools uh, from middle from when he was in elementary and then at Catholic University and the hypocrisy of the belief was also he was allowed to uh, recognize that, but that did not affect his walk with God, and I find that commendable too, and it also encourages me um, to do more for my own walk. Also, he was basically at the divorce of his parents and his father's withdrawal into depression. He was cut off from his Nigerian heritage, but he had other people like one of the networker um, in his mother's office that allowed him to reestablish himself. Unfortunately, not before his grandmother died, but before, uh, but he was able to get back to Nigeria and experience that part of himself and it but as an older teenager but that made him uh his mother when he went to school and she did this for protection but it was also a way to sever him off from his african american and his african heritage when she suggested that he go by his uh middle name william um which he shortened to Will instead of Yemi, which he had been up to that certain point of the divorce. Um, he would reclaim it um, as after his trip and his reestablishment with his family in Nigeria, but he it took him a couple of decades to get there. And all the racism and the abuse and through school and society in general could have turned him into a petty betty like myself or somebody that was hardened and depressed like his father. But he chose to grow, not live with regret, continue his education, even 
after his basketball career ended. He basically was a small power forward, um, but his time with the racist prof- uh, the pro- racist coach at uh, again at Catholic uh, made him think that you don't have to be mean and hated in order to for me to basically play basketball, um, and I'm not going to do it. Um, he had changed his name back at that time. Um, but this coach after 9-11 was off the heezy and he was allowed and was protected by the athletic department and the university in his racist and hateful rants. He knew he had to have those black, he had some of the best black talent at his fingertips and he felt it was okay as an overseer that it sounds like he was to basically treat those young men like trash. And he couldn't stand up for that. It was also during his tenure at um, Catholic that he all the the only the people that were on staff were in food service and janitorial and groundskeepers. Um, there were very few uh, professors there, and the the people that were the in, this invisible crew that kept the university going were again abused by the students and by the supervisors. Um, low pay and horrible conditions. Nobody wanted to help or nobody seemed to want to help them. Couldn't unionize because it was still a check. The other thing was the um, he attempted to get a chapter, a student chapter of the NAACP there, um, had the interest, uh, multiracial, multicultural interest, um, had a sponsor, a progressive Birkenstock wearing teacher, Dr. Um, Hobart, or Hogarth, I think his name was, who passed away in two, 2008. But when they had a meeting with the, I don't know, not the chancellor, but one of the group, the person that supervises cl- um, student clubs, and he says, basically, he didn't care that they had over 30 students from representing different races that were interested um, in establishing the NAACP. But because they, not only did the NAACP have a history of representing workers uh, of all races, they were against they, their pro-choice stance, which was not in alignment with Catholic doctrine and therefore not in alignment with the, the doctrine of the school. So they basically denied them the establishment of a charter. That ended up propelling him on the national, uh, for the first time, um, on the national, uh, uh, what is it, Um, the national stage, that's what I was looking for, the national stage, he ended up getting, working for Nancy Pelosi, and, and eventually working for the first Senator Barack Obama, and then as a type of uh, community liaison in President Obama's officer office. He talks about how uh, they both are married to Michelle's. They have their girl dads and how he be not only he became his hero, um, but he was also became a great mentor. He led by example. Um, just a brilliant Brock forever POTUS President Obama to me is the pinnacle of nerd cool brilliant 
uh, was he, I don't know if he Princeton or Harvard Law. I know he did Harvard Law Review. Um, I now have my next book. I'm going to be listening to um, letters to his daughters. He wrote to Malia and um, the other child. Um, I can't. I'm just. I'm so. That's so sad. But and how uh, um, his interaction or lack of interaction with his own Niger- um, Kenyan father, who he's who who is his namesake. So I find it fascinating that this whole book. Um, not only did, am I led to this author as well as his political. Uh, his political ambitions, not trying to be a polit- politics, go into politics, but it's also has fascinated and encouraged me um, to not only do what I need to do to expand and get this podcast monetized, but also um, open up a whole other avenue for subjects and for other interesting books um, and people I would love to speak to um, his foundation, and I do know um, Michelle Obama forever floateth, was in California about voting um, not too long ago. And I'm wondering when they're going to be down south, because that would be an event that I would like to um, possibly um, seek live, or at least see if there's some YouTube clips of these said events. and just keep learning and keep pushing and just forever being on my hustle because there's just so much, it's just so much I want to do and to see and learn about. Um, and these being exposed to this type of positivity and black positivity in general is what encouraged me to keep pushing and to keep going and also to keep fussing. every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring ring with the harmonies of liberty let our rejoicing rise high as the listening skies let it resound loud as the rolling sea that is the opening refrain to the national black anthem I have been thinking a lot on this very the James Weldon poem as well as the song and what it means to me since Juneteenth since the reversal of Roe v. Wade because I think our creative avenues are going to be crushed down dissenting voices are going to be silenced because it doesn't ring or not in lockstep with the moral majority I think we risk a descent into fascism, I, but I resisted. I refused to spiral in despair like I have been doing for the last couple of weeks. I, enc- I encourage anyone that wants to shed beauty into this world because you have a right to do that. We have a couple of decades of gloominess before us but we have to resolve to be the shining beacons of happiness. Join me as I continue this in my creative endeavors. Let me know if you want to hear something different. 
navigate to Dale's my Dale's Angels Inc. blog. Um, there's light there, a couple of puns and side eye shenanigans, also merch. And if you want to ship a glitter bomb to the dumbasses in charge or a plastic or a chocolate penis, you can use my code Tinfro Got Jokes and you can get a percentage off of your shipment. And as always, create like it's your last day. And thank you for listening.